We have a guest speaker today, and he is the grandfatherly figure somewhere in there. See if you can find him. He's in Middle-ish, and his wife Joan is here today in front of him, and uh, he has been a pastor for 44 years. So, and that includes uh, some time in Poland as a missionary. Uh, Jack and Joan have 10 children and 32 grandchildren. So you get all that wisdom and life experience today. So give a warm welcome to Jack Stockdale. It's from our, our sister church on the east side, Newsom. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Charlie. No question about it. I am a very immensely blessed person. In some century past, someone said the only thing better than talking to men about God is talking to God about men. And so next to my own walk with God, my own interaction with him, the highest privilege of my life is to be able to speak to people about God. And so I count it among the very highest privileges of my life to be here this morning. There's no place on the planet. I'm not being, you know, flattery is a sin. I'm not, this is not, I'm not flattering you. There is no place on the planet I'd rather be right now than right exactly where I'm standing talking to you. Because I believe that for God's glory, there's something for you, there's some truth for you to believe that will have, or at least has the potential of having a transforming effect on your life. And I'm really thrilled and excited to be able to bring that truth. Now, I am, have no telepathy or anything, but I could guess what you're thinking. I can tell you what half of you are thinking. Half of you are thinking, you see what he's wearing? He doesn't know we aren't one of those churches where people wear ties. Although I do see a tie over here, and Frank has on a coat this morning. So, And the other half of you are thinking, wow, I'm glad I don't go to his church because I don't like wearing a tie. Well, let me assure you, in the 11 years that I've been pastoring at New Song, up until five weeks ago when I brought this, basically the same message, I never wore a tie to New Song. I mean, not even on Easter. I am not a tie person. So, um, so there's another reason that I'm wearing this today, and I'm going to explain why. You know, I want to, as, as you might imagine, as a dad, dad of 10 kids and having all the grandkids, I have lived much of my life thinking, what, what's a creative way that I can teach what it is that I want to teach. How can I teach this in a way that people will, will grab onto it and hold on to it and they won't forget it and it'll, it'll end up changing their lives? So that's, that's why I'm wearing what I'm wearing because, oh, well, let me tell you what this, what this message is not. Okay, I gotta make sure we're synchronized here. I think we are. Uh, as Charlie mentioned, the title is Dead men walking. Now, people at New Song know that, at least for me, I don't know about for them, but for me, the title of my message is very important. So I always take time to explain why I've titled it the way I have, because it's important to kind of set the context and, and to frame it properly. So my message has also a subtitle, which I'll get to in a moment. Uh, Dead Man Walking is a 1995 crime drama starring Sean Penn. Dead Men Walking is a British rock group that started in the early 2000s. 
I assure you my message has absolutely nothing to do with either of those two things, okay? In case you were wondering. Um, <clears throat> earlier this summer, I performed a wedding up in Cleveland, and Joan was talking to, I think it was a rehearsal dinner tonight, the night before, she was talking to uh, a young wife of one of the groom's brothers, and she was relating to Joan. By the way, this is my wife, Joan. I hope you have a chance to meet her. She's sitting right here next to Chris. By the way, did you all know Chris is here on loan? I don't know if you knew that, <laughs> but there's some fine print in your contract about when your time here expires. Whatever that is, we expect to have you back at New Song. But anyway, um, what was I saying? Something important, I'm sure. Hmm? Oh, yeah, the wedding. Thank you. Yeah, and so she was relating to Joan the sad story that she and her husband had scheduled their wedding, and it fell during the lockdown. So they didn't get to have a wedding. And so they then planned something on a much smaller scale, very private, just her and her, her uh, husband-to-be groom and then a few other people. But then he actually got COVID himself, and so that got canceled. And she was saying, you know, I, I never really got to have a wedding. And how sad. I mean, they're officially married and all, okay, but wow, isn't that sad? Didn't get to have a, a wedding. There's something true about every true believer in Christ. And I realize that in a group like this, there might be some people here who haven't come to that place in their life where they have become a genuine, what, what Jesus referred to as being born again. And if, if you haven't had that experience, if you're not there, then this doesn't apply to you. There's something else that's really important for you to do, and that is to open your heart and mind and to receive Christ. But I know that for the majority of us, we fall into the category that we are genuine believers in Jesus. And there's something true about you this morning that I want to talk about and really um, focus on because it's a transforming truth. And it's just the simple truth that you're dead. So I have on my funeral garb this morning. See, this is, this is how the poor girl that never had a wedding. Well, you know what? You probably never had a funeral to memorialize you, to, to commemorate the fact that here lies so-and-so. Now, look, I've done many funerals. I'm not making light of funerals. Uh, it's a very serious thing. But there's also a fun element of this. Again, as, as a, having been a dad of lots of kids, I would think of how can I creatively teach this truth? Uh, I have an, a regular, a monthly phone call with my youngest, my daughter, Lynn, who's in school up at University of Minnesota. And on a recent phone call, she it's not uncommon for my kids to say, hey, Dad, what are you speaking on this, this coming Sunday? And I told her about this message about how we've died with Christ. And she said, oh, you know, um, my roommates comment to me uh, from time to time, about the fact that I regularly bring up with them, hey, you know, y'all know we've died with Christ. We're dead in him. So she said, you did very well teaching that to me. And I said, yeah, do you, do you remember how, how I taught that? And so we were reminiscing about, this is actually when we were missionaries in Poland. Um, I decided to just sort of play funeral. And the kids were like, I don't know, middle school. The youngest kids were sort of middle school age. And I remember in particular my son, Graham, who will be 30 soon, but he was 
about maybe 10 back then. And so it was his turn to lay on the couch like it's his coffin, you know. And so he's, his eyes, you know, and the kids are kind of chuckling, laughing, kind of smirking. And I say, here lies Graham, you know, what a wonderful person he was. And he's kind of grinning. And I would say, now, Graham, dead people don't smile, you know, which makes him laugh more. Uh, but the reality is, you and I really have died with Christ, and I want to be able to communicate it, that in a way that you'll walk out of here remembering this as something that's really true. So the shtick is over. I can go ahead and take this off. Oh, wait a minute. I'm attached here. Maybe I can't take this off. I'll just leave it on. Um, another thing that I'm going to use to kind of help drive this point home, I, I did a funeral here in January back in our church, and um, this particular funeral was in our church building. There was an open casket before the ceremony, so people who had missed the calling hours could come, and um, then after that part was over, the uh, casket was cranked down with a crank. Now, why do I have a casket crank? Because the company left it at our church building. So I walk in Sunday morning, and lying on our welcome table is the Batesville Casket Company crank. So I call the funeral home. Hey, you left your crank. They never came and got it. So I have it for a reason, and I think, here's what I'd like you to do. Just go ahead and pass that around. Again, something for you to just, uh, hey, have you ever held a, a casket crank before? But seriously, how many people, when that crank was used, uh, and, and maybe you've been part of this, and we're coming up uh, in just a few weeks on the 20-year anniversary of my father's passing, and I don't quite remember how things went at his funeral, but Joan's dad passed away here six, seven years ago. And, of course, it, at the end, we were all down at the casket and crying, and nothing, I'm not mocking or making fun, but that's what was going on, and... Here we are, we're gathered around, and there's the remains of George Anderson uh, lying there. And in our minds, we know, okay, that's not really him, right? That, those are his remains. But the reality is you look at him, okay, that's the, key, the, the cheek I kissed. That's the shoulder I cried on. That's the hand I shook. But then finally when the lid closes, there's this feeling of finality, isn't there? And you walk away and go, well, I guess it's for sure he is absolutely dead and gone. And so I want us, I want you to have that feeling of finality that, because you see yourself in the mirror and you go, yeah, I know the Bible says I'm dead, but I see me and I look pretty alive. And it's very important that we understand that this is true about us because the most important questions that people have asked down through the millennia have been what? Who am I and why am I here? Who am I and why am I here? I am a huge advocate of, and something we've been talking about at our church for this past year, is the idea of our identity, who I am and who you are in Christ. And I'm kind of leaving some things on the cutting room floor from my previous message because I know I'm in a time frame and that's perfectly fine. But I'd like to, I don't have time, but I'd like to go and show you from the scriptures how often people's, people got confused in their identity. Going clear back to Eve in the garden. Well, you know, 
God just knows that, see, he doesn't want you to be like him. He knows that when you eat that fruit, you'll be like him, and he doesn't want that. And you were destined to be like him. So it was an attack of her on her identity, wasn't it? Jesus in the wilderness, the devil comes to him. If you are the son of God, right? An attack on his identity. Then make these stones become bread. And if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from the temple. Because doesn't it say? The Bible say that he'll give his angels charts concerning you. So this, this attack on his identity. And then Peter, I love this passage, John 21. You might be familiar with the fact that, I realize I'm still on my title. I haven't even told you the whole title yet. My time's running out. <sighs> Make this really quick. Okay, John 21. Uh, you're probably familiar with the fact that the scriptures record that in running to the tomb, John got there ahead of Peter. He outran Peter. Wow, isn't that interesting? The Holy Spirit wants us to know that John's really fast. Is that why we know? No. There's a reason. I believe Peter in particular was conflicted. I kind of hope it's true, but I kind of hope it's not true. Because if it's true, I, I don't know that I can really serve him. I have failed him so much. I don't think, as a matter of fact, then in John 21, he says to his friends, I'm going fishing, which is not to say, hey, guys, I'm going fishing Saturday night. Who wants to come? It's more the idea, I'm going back to fishing. That's what I know. That's what I can do. I don't know if I can be his disciple. Jesus knew that Peter was conflicted. And when they were out in the boat, hey, children, <laughs> did you catch any fish? So Peter throws himself in the water and comes to the shore, realizes it's Jesus, and Jesus says to him, Look, Peter, time's going to come when you are led about places you don't want to go. You're led by someone else. Jesus was predicting Peter's death. It's on good scholarship. Now, it's not in the scriptures, and it's not mere tradition. It's on really good scholarship that Peter was crucified upside down. Jesus was predicting Peter's death and is, in effect, saying to him, look, Peter, you're, you're already a dead man. He had just instructed him three times, tend my sheep, shepherd my lambs, tend my lambs. This is what I want you to do, but before you can successfully do what I want you to do, you have to know who you are. So much, not only people in the world are like, why am I here? And they're trying to figure out their mission. We Christians are like, what am I supposed to do? And we perhaps don't have a good enough grasp on who we are first. And I think that's a really important thing so that we can successfully do what God wants us to do. I better, I better get to the rest of the. So here's the subtitle, Why Your Belief. I'm here today to talk with you about what you believe, not about what's on Darby Creek's official statement of faith. They're, you know, doctrinal. This is what we as a church believe. Not what official evangelical Christianity believes. I'm here to urge you to come to grips with what you may or may not believe. I'm here to talk with you about why your belief in your death. Because a question, a very significant question is, do you truly believe that the old you has died, is dead? Why your belief in your death is necessary for your life. 
You see, for you to live the kind of life God would have you live, and if we have time, I'm going to show you one other person who I want to promote as an example is the Apostle Paul. How when he came, he had come to grips with the reality of his death, in a sense, that is what empowered him to really be able to fulfill what God had in mind for him. Um, perhaps you're familiar with this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. And one of the things that has passed away is you. Think, think of the simple statement, he died. Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? No, what happened? He died. You just feel like, like if, if you, the person would have said, well, you know, he has cancer. Ooh, that's bad. Oh, such and such happened. He was in a really bad car wreck. Ooh, that's bad. I hope he gets better. But what if the person says, there's just this finality to that statement um, that we just need to come to grips with. I don't have time to talk about. And again, forgive me, but I really had fun with this message when I gave it at New Song, and I can, I'm going to have fun with it today because I think having fun with something is important. My son, Steve, who just turned 33, when he was about five, he looked up at me one day and he said, Dad, I love fun. <laughs> and I said, Stephen, I love fun too. God created us to enjoy certain things. And if you really uh, enjoy learning this, it, it's going to be able to stick with you better. And so um, in my past message, I won't go through all of it, but I've quoted the, from the Wizard of Oz movie, ding dong, the witch is dead. Because when I've taught this truth in the past about how the wicked old me is dead, I, we need to have this kind of ding, this kind of jumping around, exalting, glorifying the fact that the wicked old me is dead. You know, the munchkins, and they're dancing around because why? Dorothy's house had fallen on the wicked witch of the east, and you know, she was mortified that she'd killed this person because the shoes are sticking out from the house. And the munchkins say, we thank you very sweetly for doing it so neatly. You've killed her so completely that we thank you very sweetly. And I've got more of the script that I would love to read, but I just don't have time. And they're just all dancing around. And so I think we need to kind of have this dance around. Whoopee, the wicked old Jack is dead. Ooh, that sounds kind of harsh. Wicked? I mean, really? I'm not that bad of a person, am I? The wicked old me is dead. just want to read for you from Mark 7. The disciples were criticized by eating without having washed their hands. And the Pharisees challenged them and challenged Jesus on this. And Jesus is instructing them, hey, you, you don't get it. You don't realize it's not what goes into a person that defiles them. It what's, it's what comes out of the person. So he says, this is Mark 7, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. Okay, maybe you're not guilty of actual adultery. Maybe you're not guilty of actual theft. Maybe you're not guilty of actual fill-in-the-blank. But the very first thing that Jesus says that defiles a person, evil thoughts. Then he goes on, fornications, thefts, 
murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Wow, when have you ever heard a message preached on the sin of foolishness? I'm not going to do that now, but look, there's enough on that list that helps me to understand. Absolutely, I qualify for the adjective wicked, for sure. Ding dong. Jack is dead. The which old Jack? Go ahead and say it. The wicked old Jack. Okay, say the same thing about yourself. Look, it's important that you believe what the Bible says about you instead of what your fleshly mind or the world or the devil tells you about you. Because probably there are certain sins and you go, oh, I know that's bad, I know that's wrong, but it just, it kind of has a grip on me, it kind of has a hold on me, and I just can't manage to stop, and I know I shouldn't, but I, and you feel very alive, you don't feel very dead. Let me, let me ask you, when you get a thought in your mind that is contrary to what the Bible says, where does that come from? I, you know, I don't know. It comes from the world. It comes from either that or the flesh or it comes from the devil. Do you think the devil is going to come to you so that you could actually hear his voice? No. Sometimes the idea is, I think oftentimes the idea is in our minds, he's putting, but we think, it, we think it's our idea, right? Well, I just, I, you know, I feel pretty alive and I feel like this sin really has control over me. When the Bible says that, no, actually, that I'm dead. I better get moving here. Um, Several things, six things in particular, six aspects that I'm going to give you, and then I'm going to give you some things uh, that practically that you and I can do to help bring about, to kind of do our part, I guess you'd say, to bring bring about a real transformation in our lives. So as born again... As a born-again believer in Jesus, I am, first of all, I'm crucified with Christ. Perhaps you're sitting there thinking, okay, look, I've I've heard this before. I I know that I'm dead in Christ, okay? Do you? Do you really know it? Do you really believe it? Do you really own it? Because this is what happens. This is what happens. One generation believes the gospel. I am a first-generation born-again person. My wife is a second or perhaps third-generation the tendency is one generation believes the gospel, the next generation assumes, oh, yeah, hey, we, we already know that. Yeah, thanks, but we already know that. Ooh, be careful. Do you really know it? Because what happens next, the next generation neglects the gospel. Oh, yeah, we've heard that, and let's go on to something else, something more important, perhaps. And the next generation rejects the gospel. So as a born-again believer in Jesus, I am crucified with Christ. This word crucified, you know, ouch, crucified. Why couldn't it just say, I, I, simply I'm dead with Christ, but it says I'm crucified. I was watching, I go, I go to YouTube a lot and I watch stuff, and I was, I'm old enough, the 1976 Franco Zeffirelli movie, Jesus of Nazareth, Rod Steiger plays Pilate, and just the way he says, to the scourged Christ, he gets in his face and he says, don't you realize that I have the power to release you or to crucify you? Just the way he's, it just sounds so cruel. Ah, it's so harsh. Can you soften it a bit? No, no. The Holy Spirit used the word crucified. Why? Look, the Romans were professional killers. 
when they crucified a person, they didn't do a half job. They did the job thoroughly, absolutely. There was no question about the condition of the person after they were finished. So you and I make no mistake about it. We've been crucified with Christ. That word's very important. So not only am I crucified with Christ, I'm dead. How shall we who died, Paul starts in Romans 6. Again, it's just so abrupt. We, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? No, what happened? He died. Sometimes we, run, we get to a passage and we just run it because we think we know what it says, and we run so quickly that, wait, slow way down to these first six words, five words. How shall we who died? We died. Does sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Too often when we read the word baptized, we think H2O. And for sure, baptism in water is something very significant. But the word simply means placed into. To, when, when a person goes under the water, they are completely underneath the water, and the water completely touches every part of the, at least their outer being. So you were baptized, you were placed into, the Holy Spirit immersed you into Christ, which also included having been immersed into his death. So we, all of us, are dead. Not only are we dead, in particular, we're dead to sin. We're dead to sin. We're de- I wish I had time to develop these, but I'm running out of time. We're dead to the law. Now, be careful. Something which theologians have come to call antinomianism, which is the idea, oh, hey, we're dead to the law. That means the law has no value or no importance. That means I can do whatever I want because, hey, grace, right? Where there's grace so I can, I can live however I want to live. No, no, no. Don't have time, but I could take you places in the New Testament where New Testament writers are saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. The law says such and such, so be careful. But in terms of that which justifies me before God, I'm dead, and you're dead to the law. Isn't that good to know? We are, so what has it been so far? Crucified with Christ, dead, dead to sin, dead to the law. Number five is freed from sin. Freed from sin. The analogy I like to give is uh, I grew up in a house of nine people, a small house in Canton, Ohio, and we had a dog. And in our family, the dog was a dog. <laughs> and the dog, people live in the house, dogs live outside. So the dog was chained to a doghouse. So the kids, we were, we were playing in the backyard, and the dog's barking and running back and forth, but only as far as his chain would permit him to go, right? And as you can imagine, after a while, our dog, Scout, wore a, a path where his chain, you know, so you could tell here's grass and then here's, looks like a baseball infield or something, you know, where he could walk and he beat down the grass. Imagine one summer afternoon, he's snoozing in the sun. The flies are flying around. And Jackie Stockdale sneaks up with the bolt cutters and cuts the chain. Scout opens his dog eye, his beagle eye, you know. And he wakes up, and he starts trotting around barking. But he just stays within that. Because he thinks, I'm still chained, I'm still bound. 
No, you've been freed, Scout. If you realized what was true about you, you could take off. We'd probably never see him again because he'd run away. But anyway, you and I, the point is, you and I have been freed from sin. But having been freed from sin, what does that mean? Hey, I get to, I'm just going to go do whatever I want. No, no, no. Because doing whatever you want turns quickly into enslavement to self. You know, you, you yourself are a horrible slave master to yourself. Don't think, oh, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. So having been freed from sin, you and I, although probably it's not something, because in our history, slavery has been, it and was a horrible sin, and it's, it's abhorrent, so we just go, ooh, I don't want to think about that. Okay, we need to judge that sin as what it was, but the reality is, is that believers are to see themselves because we are enslaved to our loving, gracious, merciful master, God. So again, as a born-again believer in Jesus, I'm, again, I'm crucified with Christ. I'm dead because I died with Christ, which means I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to the law. I'm freed from sin, which also means I'm enslaved to God. Now let's get to the practical life transformation side of things here. Why my belief in my death is necessary for the life that I'm living. Obviously, we're living, breathing human beings. We can look at ourselves in the mirror, look at one another, and we're moving, and we have consciousness. So in practical terms, how can this truth that I'm dead be transformational in my life? I'm going to have to hurry through some of these. You know, I'm just going to skip. Oh, I'll just mention the word buried. Why does the Scripture say that we've been buried with him through baptism? I think it's because when a person dies, and we all know this, you know that body can't stay around very long or what's going to happen. What did she say in, in John 11 when Jesus said, roll the tomb away? Oh, master, uh, he's been dead four days. There's going to be a stench. This is just reality. Jesus, don't you understand? I was watching a YouTube, <laughs> and this, you, you know, some, on some YouTubes, thankfully, they kind of blur out certain things that you shouldn't see. And this guy was, uh, have you ever heard of magnet fishing? My, one of my cousins does, he's got this big magnet on this, like, rope, and he throws it out in a pond or something. And whatever it, he will just haul stuff. It's amazing some of the stuff he's got. This person was magnet fishing off a bridge and hooked onto something and starts pulling it up. He goes, uh-oh, I think this is a, a body. And he said, it's either a body or a dog, and it's like, oh, yeah, the smell. Someone, sadly, had murdered, apparently, someone and put a chain around this body and put it in this river. Yeah, but my point is, he's like, oh, this is horrific, well, you know what? You and I in our sin are pretty horrific. It's pretty smelly. It's pretty raunchy. So if we realize, look, we've been buried, we've been put away, our old self, I don't want any of that old self around. You know what? Other people don't want it either <laughs> because it's pretty ugly and it smells pretty bad. 
So I think that's part, at least part of the significance of having been buried. I'm going to move through this because I want to get to the practical part here. The Apostle Paul, in and out of the summarize this in a nutshell, he was on his way to Jerusalem. And he had been receiving messages. There was a prophet named Agabus who took Paul's belt and wrapped himself in the belt. And he said, the man who owns this belt, this is what's going to happen to him. So people were begging him, oh, Paul, Paul, don't, don't do it. Don't go to Jerusalem because you're going to get caught and they're going to... Actually, God had a plan, I believe, for him to uh, appeal to Caesar, to, be, to go to Rome, et cetera, et cetera. But he says, look in verse 24, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that, so that I may finish my course in the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to solemnly testify of the gospel of the grace of God. I'm going to contend today that you will not be able to finish your course in whatever ministry God has for you unless you, like Paul, come to that place where you go, okay, I don't consider my life as any account as dear to me. Isn't that so much human nature? Yeah, well, what about me? But what's going to happen to me? But what about my fill-in-the-blank? What about... But once you go, you know what? None of that matters because the old me died with Christ. Wow. That opens up then a world of, okay, God, you do what you want to do in my life. I'm yours. The old me is dead. It just doesn't matter. Okay, making the truth of your death transformational. I think I can do this in six minutes. Okay, well, you're nice. Thanks, Charlie. First of all, first of all is to learn it. Now, I've run through these verses really quickly, and I don't expect you to absorb all these scriptures just in the few minutes you're sitting here. I would highly encourage you. I, I have a, matter of fact, I can make it available to Charlie. I have a Word document uh, called The Believer's Identity. And there are 52 things that are true about the person who is in Christ. And I went over six of them this morning having to do with your death in Christ. So I would encourage you to get a hold of something like that. Again, I'll make it available to Charlie, and you can go to him for it. And I use it in my personal quiet time in the mornings with the Lord, and it has been so rich for me this last year. Don't assume that just because, oh, I read the passage, oh, yeah, I know it, now move on. No, the, the Word of God is shallow enough for a baby to bathe in, not drown, deep enough for the deep, deepest, theolo- deepest theologian to dive into and never touch the bottom. That's not mine. That was attributed to several people. I don't know exactly, Augustine or Jerome, somebody like that. So there's a lot to learn in these gospel messages. We tend to think, oh, I'm already saved. I can go on to something else more important than the gospel. No, the Christians need the gospel too. That's what the book of Romans is all about. The Christians need to understand and embrace and believe the gospel. 
So again, I'm not going to go through all those verses, but I'll make them available to Charlie, and you can get them from him. So learn it. Learn about your death. Again, I'm sorry I'm going to run through these verses because I want to get to. So important that you, this is not just about what Darby Creek believes. It's about what you believe and about what you know. It's important for you to know things and to consider certain things as being true. Let me ask you this. Do you think this idea of you being dead in Christ is kind of a, oh, God's just kind of like doing this mental game with me. It's so much mental gymnastics so that you know, God wants me to kind of convince myself so I'll act like I'm dead. No, it's not a game God is playing. This is really true. You really are dead. What a, what a wonderful truth that we need to exalt in. You need to consider yourself that way. So, again, I apologize that I'm running through here. Learn, learn it. Your word have I treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. So it's not just learning it in an academic way, but learning it in a deep-down way that you'll really value it. The law of your mouth is better to me, David said, than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Wow, doesn't that hit each of us where we live? Isn't the reality is we, we think about money, and I say most of us think a lot about money, and that, I don't know that that's inherently wrong. We need to live. We need to pay the bills, and where's the money going to come? Oh, I understand all that. Naturally, as human beings, we value that which will help us to acquire things. And here's David going, God, your, not only just your word, David is saying your law. Wow, think about that. On top of the law, we have all these wonderful New Testament truths and promises. David is saying your law is more better to me than thousands of, what's, what's gold going for for an ounce today? $1,500, I don't know what it is. Do the math. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, Paul said. I think, oh, the word of Christ, that's the whole Bible, 66 books. Actually, most theologians and scholars believe that this phrase, the word of Christ, used in Colossians here, it's the idea of the message about Christ. In other words, the gospel message. Allow the gospel message to richly dwell within you, not just in terms of so that I can be prepared to share the gospel with other people. Yes, that's very important. But allow it to dwell in you in a life-transforming way. So learn it, love it. You know, the idea of death, we think, oh man, it's just kind of, I just want to move on to the other part. Yeah, but I've died with Christ, but, but I rose with him and there's resurrection. Yes, there is, but don't be so quick to leave that truth. Do you love it? Do you love the fact? I love the fact that the old Jack is dead. He, he died and sometimes he seems to rear his ugly head, and I just go, you know what? That's, that's done with because he died. Do you love that truth? Oh, how I love thy law. It's my meditation all the day. What do you think about? What do you do in this space up here between your ears? How do you spend your time when you're driving in the car and going about your daily life? Are you meditating on what's true? Live it. Live this truth. It's not simply something to be in our theology, but 
the fact that we've been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, it's so that we might walk in newness of life. There's a practical aspect that we might live transformed lives. We tend to think, oh, yeah, okay, I know when I get to heaven, then I'll be perfect. But, you know, I'm, no one's perfect, you know, and we're just all down here. We're all trying our best. No one's perfect. When we, hey, you know what? When we get to heaven, we'll be perfect. Don't worry about it. Wait a minute. What does the Bible say? That you live in newness of life in this, in this life. And the, also, of course, everything has to start with an L now, right? Because I'm a pastor, and so you have this thing, this L thing going. So we need to laugh at. It's something that we need to exalt in. Whoopee! I am so glad that the old Jack is dead. Ding dong. Jack is dead. Which old Jack? The wicked old Jack. My wife says it. Yeah, she says it. She says it with gusto. Yeah. Laud it. This is a truth that we need to uh, as my daughter just regularly reminds her roommates to praise this truth, it's an important truth that we need to be reminding one another of. And I had to come up with the L word that kind of means teach it. A lecture maybe kind of implies like, oh, I'm lecture. I'm telling you how it is. No, I'm just, whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments will be called least in the kingdom. Whoever keeps and teaches others on one level, each every Christian is teaching, if nothing else, by the way you're living your life, your neighbors, your coworkers, your relative, distant relatives or extended family, whatever, you are teaching. And sometimes you have opportunity to verbalize things, and we're all teaching on one level. So learn how you can impart this truth to other people. I did it by playing funeral with my kids, and they had a fun time doing it, and they remembered it. So lecture it. Deuteronomy 6 says that parents should, first of all, they should have the word on their heart and then teach it diligently to, their, to your sons. What does teach diligently? Son, you're going to learn this if it kills me. You know, who wants to learn you know, from some guy that's beating his kids over the head with the Bible? Look, moms and dads, learn creative, fun ways to teach your kids. What, because Proverbs 31, the teaching of kindness is on her lips. You know, moms, the, most, the kindest thing you can do to your children is to teach them, look, son, look, daughter, one of your greatest enemies in your whole life is yourself. Sin is crouching at the door. You must master it, or it will div- You are your own worst enemy, and it's important for you to understand that you died with Christ. Wow, these are important things for moms to be teaching and dads to be teaching kids. So... Went a few minutes over, but I appreciate you giving me an opportunity to come and talk with you this morning. And I'm trusting God, the Holy Spirit. He's the one that changes us, right? I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to take whatever I said of value this morning and just continue to minister it to your hearts and minds in the coming days and weeks in a way that will result in you walking in that newness of life that Paul talked about. Let's pray and ask the Lord for that. Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege of speaking to people about you. Thank you for the power of your word. It's it, all these, these, these verses, Lord, it's not my word, it's your word. It's you get the glory. It's you that transforms. That you, it's you who resurrects those who've died. We give you all the praise, and we anticipate the life change that has happened already. I know it has happened, 
and, and many people right here at Darby Creek, but your will is for it to continue. And as it does, we purpose ahead of time that we'll give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.